You can turn this down a little bit. It was up because of that game. You guys recovered from the game? Still tired? Don't fall asleep, all right? Try not to be long. <clears throat> you can turn it down a little bit more, just a tad. Um, let me share by sharing a little story. of uh, When I was a youth pastor, I remember a uh, kid in our youth group. His name was Caleb. And he, Caleb made me laugh because when I first met Caleb, he was uh, really into soccer. And every Wednesday night, he would show up, and he always had like soccer-looking gear on. And he really owned that. And uh, always seemed to have a soccer ball, was always kicking it around. Um, and, then it, and then a few months passed as I was there. And it was like overnight, he walked in to the Wednesday night service one night, and I, I didn't recognize him. Um, he looked like a West Side, like straight up cowboy. Wranglers, um, cowboy boots. Overnight, he became this cowboy kid, right? Did that for a few months, and then he walked in one day, when this was kind of a gradual actual process, but over the course of a few months, all of a sudden, he turned in to the biggest hardcore music fan you, you've ever met. And he was talking about the shows, he was, had it like the faux hawk going, I don't think faux hawks are in anymore, right? But they were in then, like five or six years ago, had like the black rim glasses, and I joked with him, but like the first time he showed up, own, like owning this new thing, like I thought, I, I literally thought that he had like spandex tights on, all right, black spandex tights, and what they were were skinny jeans, right? And, and I was like, dude, what in the, how in the world, I don't want to know, how did you get those things on? Those things are so tight, that is weird. And, uh, and then he would kind of cycle back into those different types of identities. Now, we joked about it. He had a good sense of humor. But we had some pretty good conversations about it. Because all of that was maybe funny and humorous on the surface, what it indicated to me was that he was in an identity crisis. That he was trying to find an identity. He was trying to find uh, some type of look, some type of group to identify himself with. And I just want to start off with a statement tonight. Um, if there is any advice that I can give you guys, uh, where you're at in life, um, you guys are young, teenagers, uh, have the rest of your lives to live, hopefully, God willing. Um, if I could give you any advice, it would be this, um, to not chase after being what you think the world wants you to be. For you not to chase after, because we're good at self-deceiving ourselves, for you not to be who you think that you should be, or that who you think the world wants you to be, but to let the, the word of God, if you're a believer, if you're a believer, you need to start there if you're not a believer, but if you're a believer, to let the word of God define who you are. You see? Um, you know, uh, the reason why this is so important is um, because if we're not careful, um, what will happen is, is, you know, even as believers, you know, as believers, Satan cannot touch our soul. We're eternally secure in the hands of God if we're believers. But what Satan can do in his objective, and if keep this statement that I'm about to say in mind because it's so important. Write it down if you're taking notes. Um, Satan can't touch your soul, but he will do his best to make you ineffective. He can't touch your soul. He can't take away your salvation. 
um, you're secure in the hands of God, but what he can do is he can lead you in a direction that makes you ineffective on this planet. And that's not God's will for your life. That's not what he wants. And a way that he can make you ineffective is to distract you from finding your identity in Christ and trying to find your identity in something else. It could be relationships. Man, relationships in your life right now are very important. I know that. Friendships, and if you say they're not important, they're important to all of us. Relationships are. Um, man, I, I, I was going to tell you all a story, but I'm kind of embarrassed. I shouldn't tell you. I'll keep moving. Should I tell you? Can, can we keep it between us? Then I can't tell you. Just, just to, I remember in middle school, uh, this is such an embarrassing story. I remember in middle school, um, I was in sixth grade, all right, sixth grade, and I remember that was when it really, really began to um, become clear to me that there is a popular crowd, and there is a not so popular crowd, and there's these different groups in school, and that's the way things worked. And I remember a desire to want to be part of a popular crowd. And not only that, not only did I want to be in the popular crowd, I also wanted to, there was a girl that I thought was like the prettiest girl ever. And she was popular. And I thought, man, this is it. Like my life will be complete if, if, this, if I can work this thing out, right? And I don't know what y'all call, we call it going out. What do y'all call middle school? Girlfriend and boyfriend, what do you call that? Oh, okay, good. It hasn't changed. Very good. Um, and I remember, like, you know, working up the nerve to, and, and somebody had told me that, she, you know, she kind of liked me, and, and I was like, this is, this is working out. So I, I, I was ready to kind of go up and, and, like, build up the courage to ask her out, right? Well, I guess I, like, waited too long, all right? A few days too long, and I, and I walk up, and I, I remember just being excited, you know, kind of walking up, you know, with kind of a little swag, new. This girl was about to become my girlfriend, and it was all going to be great. And I remember walking up and, and just making myself vulnerable and, and just expressing my love for her and expressing how much I liked her. And I didn't go that far, but I did say, hey, basically, in you know, some words, I said, will you go out with me? And she was like, no. She goes, I'm so sorry. She goes, I'm no, no. She goes, I'm actually, yesterday I just started going out with this other guy. Right? I remember the guy's name. His name was Adam Worthington. <laughs> Adam Worthington. And I remember the moment that she said his name, I was like, I'm going to kill that guy. <laughs> and, and so that night, that night I went home. This is a true story. I'm embarrassed to tell this story. That night I went home, and in my little sixth grade mind, I came up with a plan of revenge. See, Adam Worthington, he sat at the lunch table right across from me. And I knew exactly what I was going to do. I mapped it all out in my mind, right? Next day I woke up, I was like, this is it. You know, when you're, when, when you're you know, sometimes you just get the plan and you're like, this is going to be awesome. Like, I'm going to win, he's going to be, I'm going to win her back. Not back, win her. First. <laughs> and so, lunchtime came, and I remember sitting down and at my table, and I looked over, and there was a, a seat right across from him. And I finished my lunch real quick, and I ran over there, and I sat down, and I just stared at him. And in my hand, I had an empty Coke can. And this is what I really thought in my mind at the moment would be the best idea. I said, hey, Adam, heard you're going out with Amy. He said, yeah. 
I said, all right. You know that I like Amy? No, no, I didn't know that. I do. Let me tell you something. I don't like the fact that you're going out with Amy. And if that relationship doesn't end, and at this moment I take the Coke can and I put it on the table, I say, this is going to be your head. <laughs> now, I wasn't as strong as I hoped I would be. It was kind of like not as intense, but I went <laughs> and crunched the Coke can. And he looked at me like, dude, you're ridiculous. <laughs> all right? Let's fast forward 10 years, all right? The middle school flies by, and I think it was end of my junior year. I was at a football game. And I, I'm at the concession stand, and I'm walking back down to the stands, and guess who's coming my way? Adam Worthington, right? And I'm like, oh, no, I'm embarrassed, you know, because that's, that's like the last real conversation I have with this kid. And, uh, and, and he remembered me, and it was cool, you know, you know, kind of grow up and get over that stuff, and we talked, and it was cool. And, and then as we were leaving, like at separating, he turned around and said, hey, Jonathan, this is your head. <laughs> no lie, true story, all right? Now, that's an embarrassing story. You told me you would keep that secret, all right? Let's keep that in here, all right? But all joking aside, all joking aside, listen, in my little mind, sixth grade mind, I, I was in an identity crisis. I thought if she would somehow go out with me, it would fill some void in my life at that time. And we are that way. If we're not careful, we'll f- try to find other things to give us an identity, it might be things, it might be sports, it might be activities. Um, but have you noticed that in our world, in our culture, and, and as you're living life at your school, there is a pressure to find something that you're kind of good at, to find kind of your niche. Um, you know, if maybe uh, if you're the smart kid, you know, if there's a difficult like trivia question that comes in, everybody looks at you, you know, there's a smart person in the room. You know, and if you're that smart person, you feel like you have to be the person um, to, to, to answer that question. You know, we all feel this pressure to, to find kind of our niche um, and to find our identity. And the question is, I want you to be honest with yourself. Where do you think you're finding your identity tonight? Where do you think you're finding your identity? A good way to uh, maybe figure that out is to just imagine for a moment if you had three wishes right now, or maybe just one wish, and if it, if it were to ha- it would happen right now in your life, what would it be? Would it be to, um, for some of you, would it be something to change about your appearance? And I'm being serious here. Would it be to be more athletic? Would it be to be smarter? Would it be to, to have money? Would girls, would it be to have a certain guy or guys to have a certain girl? Whatever that is, your answer to that question might reveal where you're searching for your identity, all right? And the message tonight is this, is let Christ define who you are. Don't try to be who you think the world wants you to be. Again, don't try to be who you think you should be. Be who Christ says you are as a believer. Turn to um, 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter two. I'm going I'm to read three verses here. Okay, 
It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God, for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into marvelous light. For you were once, for, for once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Now, what this verse does, these verses do, is they define for us what it means to find um, our identity in Christ. They define our identity that's found in Christ. Okay? And so, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to really quick just throw out five things that we find in this verse that describe who we are. And let me tell you something. As a, as a teenager striving to live for Christ, and I certainly hope that there's some of you who have that desire in your heart to strive to live a life for Christ and to follow Him. Um, you know, the striving to follow Christ, striving to follow Him sometimes can be difficult. And I think sometimes it can be difficult because you're trying to follow a set of rules. You're trying to remember all these different things. And I don't believe that's what God's called us to as believers. I don't think He's called us to follow a list of rules. He's followed us to be a certain type of person. So it's not about what I'm doing, it's about who I am. And if you can remember who you are in Christ, it'll help you remember what to do. And I believe that's the order that God intends for us to put those things in. So as we move through that verse, what's the first thing that we notice there? We, we notice that we're God's children, all right, that we're chosen. All right, look at John um, chapter, actually I'll flip there, don't flip there, stay at 1 Peter, all right? I'm going to read John chapter 1, you can write that verse down if you want to, verses 12 and 13. And it says this, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. If you're a Christian, very simply, and you've heard this before, and so what's going to happen is you're going to hear me say child of God, and you're going to kind of mentally be ready for the next point. You're like, I've heard that before. But the Bible states that you're a child of God. But I want to explain something because this is something that you must understand about your relationship with God. Your relationship with your earthly father affects greatly and deeply your view of your heavenly father. And if you don't realize that and don't realize that you're conditioned to think a certain way about God by the way your father treats you, uh, you're going to have difficulty working through some different things. And so understand that, that God's not a supersized version of your dad. He's a perfected version of your father. All right? And why is his love so great? So it's a God who loves you. He's a God who cares for you. But specifically, why is his love so great? It's because his love never ends. It's, it's unconditional. You see, we live on a broken, messed up, sinful earth where people are messed up where even our fathers are sinful people who mess up, who aren't perfect, but we serve a father. And if you have a Christian father and you might have an example being set before you, modeled before you, and that's awesome if he's striving to be like Jesus, but some of you don't. And some of you need to hear the truth and be reminded of the truth every day that you, although you might not have that, you have a heavenly father who loves you unconditionally and whose love for you never ends. Um, my dad's, my, my, I, I, I was blessed with a, with a Christian father, a pastor, 
but his, and, and I, sometimes I believe that he strived to be such a good father because his father wasn't um, a good father. I remember uh, being like nine, last time I saw my grandfather, my grandfather's still alive, my dad's dad. Um, last time I saw him, I was nine years old. All right, so that was a long time ago. I'm not even going to try to do the math in my head. Um, 21 years, I just did it. Um, that's how long it's been since I've seen my grandfather. And before that, it had been like five years um, before I had seen him. And he, he flies into Jacksonville. We're excited to see him because we, what we did remember is that he br- would bring us toys, like all kinds of like, like dollar store toys, like just a luggage full of them. And I remember he showed up. And I remember thinking, man, Grandma's acting kind of funny. Like, he's acting a lot of fun. Like, he's like old and he's out here like, like pushing us around and like shooting the basketball and kicking the football. And, but it kind of smells funny, you know? And what we didn't realize is he was just drunk. He was drunk. He was an alcoholic. And so my dad had always made it a rule that if his father came to um, his house and into his home and brought alcohol, that he would take it away. He would throw it away. And so my dad went up to and took it out of his luggage and threw it away. Right when my grandpa found out, didn't say anything to us, said, take me back to the airport. Took him back to the airport, flew back to the West Panhandle of Texas. I haven't seen him since. Talked to him a few times on the phone, but I haven't talked to him sober. Now, that's my grandfather. I was blessed with a father, but my father, that's his dad. It's been years since my dad's had a sober conversation with his father. And he looks forward to the next one. But I say that to say this. Some of you knows what it feels like to have a father who's dropped the ball. To have a father who has not been the father that Scripture calls fathers to be. I want you to know that, that you have a heavenly father who never abandons, who never drops the ball, whose love never ends, whose love is completely unconditional, not based on your performance, whose love never ends for you as a believer. You're his child. That's your identity. That's who you are. Second thing we read in this verse is, did you see that, that phrase, royal priesthood? Um, and so you're a, chi- you're a child, and you're also, did you guys know that you're a priest? You can start wearing that little collar, right? You're a priest. All right, let me explain. All right. This means that you have an all-access pass that you might not even realize that you had. I want you to turn to a scripture this time. Turn to Hebrews. That's to the left if you're still in First Peter. Hebrews chapter 10. It's in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. And look what Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 22 say. Therefore, wait, I'm sorry. Let me give you enough time to get there. I hear pages turning. If you're there, say I'm there. Okay, there's like five people. I'll give you a second. Either a lot of people don't have Bibles or a lot of people are having trouble finding it. All right, are you there? All right, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, listen to this, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure water. Um, being a priest in the Old Testament times and even up to this point, okay? So we think, of, we think of the Old Testament as like 
a long time before the New Testament, right? And there were a few hundred years, but a lot of the systems, a lot of the way things operated in the Old Testament were still operating the same way when Jesus walked the earth. It's when he died on the cross that things changed, all right? So even all the way up to the point of Christ dying on the cross, um, the priest, the high priest especially, was a very, very important position, all right? See, God's presence um, at this time, because of the way that, that sin, um, you know, plagued the earth, um, what God's presence would do is it would dwell in a tabernacle. It would dwell in the temple, specifically in a special room within the temple called the Most Holy Place. And then on one day during the year called the Day of Atonement, only the high priest would have access to go in and put the blood of a sacrifice, a pure sacrifice, on the Ark of the Covenant to cover the sins of the people. And, and that's the closest, that's the closest that anybody could get to God. And still that was limited. And if you went in and didn't follow the rules correctly as a high priest, you would be killed. And so before you would go in, they would tie a rope around your ankle as a high priest. Because there had been, there had been times when priests had gone in and because their sin hadn't been dealt with correctly, the, the, the holy presence of God literally crushed the life out of them. That's some limited access, right? And the high priest at that time was the closest person. The person that could get the closest to God. Alright? But, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that He sent His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then we read in Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 10 exactly what Christ did when he came to this earth and when he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. Scripture reads in Matthew that, that the veil in that temple that was um, symbolic of what separated man from God tore in half. And at that moment, something happened that had not been available since Adam and Eve. Access into the presence of a holy God through the blood of Christ. Do you realize the privilege that we have as children of God to have access. I need two people to help me be volunteers for an illustration. Two people. Come on. Come on. I need you and Corbin. Come on up here. All right. All right, you guys are kind of quiet. Let's give them a hand just to kind of kill the awkward silence. All right. Now come here. What's your name? Justin. Justin. I know your name. Corbin. But I won't forget your name, Justin. All right. I want you to make a doorway. Go ahead. Perfect, man. That's exactly what I wanted you guys to do. All right. This is a doorway. All right. The point here is this. Jesus is our doorway. All right. Jesus is our doorway. Stick with me for a second. Okay. Imagine that door's not there for a second. All right. And imagine you can't see Justin and Corbin. And imagine here is just a, a wall, a thick wall that with your greatest effort, tanks, armies, greatest force on earth could not break through or penetrate. Imagine that there's a wall here and that wall represents sin. On the other side of this wall is God and, and humanity is on that side over there. And that's exactly what the situation and the reality was in the Old Testament leading up to the time that Jesus died on the cross is there was this, this thick barrier between man and God. So imagine a wall being here. When Jesus came, Jesus busted through that wall. When he breathed in that breath after three days in the grave and rose from the grave and defeated death, hell, and the grave. And what happened in that moment is he became the doorway for whoever would 
Make Jesus their Lord and their Savior and repent of their sins. All right? Are you with me? So, when you become a Christian, Jesus is the doorway. Do you understand how awesome that is? That at any time throughout our day as believers, we have access into the presence of God. Now, here's the crazy thing. You guys with me? All right. Hold hold, hold strong. You're good. All right. Here's the crazy thing. How many times do we go through a day without taking advantage of that access we have? Think about the way we treat that access. Think about what we don't even, we can't even begin to imagine what it costs for this access to be made, right? And there's a danger about living in what we call the age of grace, this side of the cross. We're, we have this freedom that the old people in the Old Testament didn't experience. But what happens sometimes is when you experience freedom, you get spoiled and you take things for granted. And shame on us for doing that. Shame on us for going through a day and, and only, um, you know, taking advantage of that access in moments like this. Um, dear Jesus, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And leaving that access completely empty and not walking through it at any other time throughout the day. Or maybe it's, it's, it's on a tragedy happens. Dear Jesus, you know, it's, my, my, my grandma's sick and this is serious and, and man, our, 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 my parents just gave me this, this news and, and, and this is, your heart's beating fast and Jesus help me. And then as soon as that scare is over, it's kind of like you leave the access for a few days. Or it's, oh no, you know, pop quiz. I didn't realize that the pop quiz was going to be today. If I make anything below a C, I fail this, this, this class. Jesus, help me. Oh Lord, help me. I promise, Lord, I will go to church every Wednesday night. Lord, I will tell my friends about Jesus. I'll be a missionary. Please help me make a C or above on this quiz. And you make a C or above, and it's kind of like every single day. And I'm with you because we're still, God's still working on us and we're still trying to remember these things, right? But shouldn't every single day we should wake up and just be like, you know, just amazed? God, I get to talk, I get to talk with you and you hear me and it's all because of Jesus and I thank you so much and my heart's full of gratitude and because all these things are true, I want to serve you. Okay, you guys are good. Give me a hand. Good job. So we're, that's what I mean when I say that you're a priest. So we're not only his child, we're not only the, a priest, um, we're also his bride. Guys, yes, you too. We're called his bride. What I mean by that is, uh, listen as I read real quick, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 32. Just listen as I read. It says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself to the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now, in this verse of scripture, we find um, the word of God comparing our relationship with Jesus Christ, the church with Jesus Christ, with a husband and his bride. And what this is doing is it's showing us this incredible close relationships. Two people who are married are being united together. It's the most intimate relationship, committed, faithful, awesome relationship that you can experience on the planet. And in the same way, we get to experience this incredible relationship with God. And if you're in a relationship with Jesus, do you realize the benefits of that relationship? You're forgiven, 
You're righteous. He puts his power in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that he puts inside of you. A a power that's victorious. A spirit that's victorious over sin. The fourth thing. I'm going to move quick. I only got two more. The fourth thing is that we're also servants. And if you go and continue to read past verse um, 12 in 1 Peter chapter 2 and go on and read, you, you, you find that, that we're, we're servants. This is a very difficult thing, I believe, for us to work through because what's patterned in our flesh, and do you realize this, that even after you get saved, that you still deal with sin? You with me? Duh. But what happens is, is that's called our flesh. So although this new life has started inside of us, we still deal with sin. And it's called the flesh. And the only thing that's going to chip away at that and break that down is, I believe, is through um, God's Word and through prayer. John 17, 17, we're sanctified in truth. God's Word is truth. God's Word is the only thing that's going to restrain your flesh. Guys, God's Word is the only thing that's going to restrain your flesh and help your eyes look where they should look. Girls, God's word is the only thing that's going to restrain your flesh and to keep you walking on a path that's holy, a woman of God. And God's word is the only thing that's going to help us get to a place where we're filled with the humility that God's called us to be filled with, to be servants. Do you guys remember in John chapter 13 um, when Jesus and the disciples are, are in that room in um, Jesus has just been uh, given the authority to complete the work that he came to complete. And they're meeting and the disciples are talking. And, and Jesus is literally not only the most powerful person in the room, but the most powerful person in the universe. What do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? See those patterns in our flesh, they condition us to take advantage of those moments. What did Jesus do when he was the most powerful person in the room? The, the king of the universe. More power than anyone, period. He walked over, got a bowl of water, and knelt down and did one of the most lowly, humiliating tasks that you could do in that culture, began to wash the disciples' dirty feet. And then we have the audacity to roll our eyes when mom and dad asks us to take the trash out. We think we're too good for certain things and certain tasks. We've been called to be servants. That's who we are. It's not just something to do. It's who you are. If you're a Christ follower, that's who you are. So try to remember that next time that mom and dad ask you to do something. Try to remember that the next time that you're in a group of people and maybe you're the most powerful person in that situation. Be a servant. Last thing tonight is this. You ready for this? Did you guys know that you're aliens? You're aliens. All right, let me explain. In the Word of God, there's a word called sojourner. A sojourner is someone who's traveling through a foreign land. And in some of your translations, it actually uses the word alien. All right? So alien isn't just a word that they came up with for people with, you know, the creatures that look like E.T. That's actually a word that means someone traveling through a foreign land. And in the Word of God, it says that that's our identity as Christ followers. That we are aliens, or a better word maybe, is a sojourner. Someone traveling through a, a land. Let me kind of end and wrap up with this illustration here. All right? I'm, I'm weird in the sense that I like to stay at hotels. Anybody with me? I enjoy that. I don't know why. 
I'm weird. I, some of you are weird with me. I enjoy staying at hotels. And hopefully we'll be able to go on vacation soon and, and travel maybe to Orlando or somewhere and we'll stay for a few nights in a hotel. And would it be weird, do you think, if we went to that hotel and say we were just staying for one or two nights? If we walk in and I'm like, okay, let's throw our luggage down and the kids come in and they're jumping on the beds like kids are doing hotels and doing Superman from bed to bed and all that crazy stuff. And I, and I said to Rebecca, I said, you know what? This place, we need to fix this place up a little bit. Let's fix it up a little bit. All right? Yeah, let's do that. And I begin to tear the carpet up. Just tear it all up and throw it out in the hallway. And I run down to Home Depot and, and maybe get some, uh, some, some wood flooring or maybe some other carpet and bring it down. And, and I say, no, let's do some more. And I begin to, I, I go down and get some, some paintings to hang on the wall. And I don't, not only that, I just start painting the wall a different color. Start hanging some light fixtures. Go down and get a nice big, you know, throw away the, whatever, the 32-inch flat screen TV and go down and get a 50-inch flat screen TV. Hook that thing on the wall. Like, let's do it, man. Let's, let's, let's really settle into this place. What would happen? What would the hotel management do? They'd come down and go, sir, we've called the police because we believe that you're crazy, you know? And, 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 and second of all, just on a personal level, what are you doing? You're staying here for two nights, okay? Have you lost your mind? And you think, what a stupid hypothetical situation that you've just painted for us. But let me ask you this. How much more foolish from heaven's perspective do we look when we settle into this world like it's our home? My qu- the question I have for you tonight is, are you living for two worlds? Are you trying to live for heaven and also live for this earth at the same time? You know, a way to maybe evaluate that in your life is to think about the things that you've done over this last week. For those of you who call yourself Christians, think about if your life were a movie this past week and it captured everything that you talked about, everything that you did, everything that you thought about, and you were to walk in here tonight and we were to take that, uh, another hypothetical situation, I'll just take a thumb drive and stick it in your mind and bring it out and have your whole life for the last week and we were to plug it into the computer and play it for everyone to see. How embarrassing would that be? How much would you fight to destroy that thumb drive? Would you say it's safe to say that even this last week that you've tried to live for two worlds? Now, in no way am I saying, a lot of times you have to be careful because I'm not saying that there's, you need to walk out of here and if you don't somehow live for one world, heaven, and, and not make any mistakes, there's something wrong with you and you're lost. We still deal with the flesh. The question is, is it's a question of desires. Do you desire to live for one world? Do you desire to be a sojourner in this world and not to settle down in this world? But to kind of live with this motto, this world is not my home. You know what? I'm not walking around um, spending my life caring about what other people think about me and my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to you sink my, you know, my, my feelings and my emotions and my affections and the things that are fleeting and that will fade away. I'm going to spend my time living for one world. That's my desire for the kingdom of God. So, where are you guys at tonight? Think about your life. Think about those five things that we've covered. Let those things define who you are as Christ followers, okay? Let those five things, think about those things this week. And remember, it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. And if you got that down, who you are in Jesus Christ, the what and the things to do and the actions will follow the way that they should. All right, let's bow our heads and close in prayer.
We're going to play a, uh, you guys just close your eyes and bow your heads and just spend a few moments right after the word's been taught. It's a good time to just sit and think and pray. So we're going to play a song and you guys spend some time thinking and praying. And uh, then I'll close this in prayer. All right. Jesus, I thank you for this night. I thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would help us, Father, as we leave this place to live the life that you've called us to live. Lord, I pray that you would help us to embrace just, we just covered a portion tonight of who we are in you, but just these five things, Father, could fix so many issues in our lives. So I pray that we'll leave here, Father, remembering that we're your child, remembering that we're your that, that we're a priest, that we have access into the presence of a holy God, that, that we have a, a special relationship with Christ, that, that, that we're your bride, we're the church, that we're to be servants, and that we're sojourners, Father, that we don't belong to this world, we're just passing through. And help us not to just remember those things, but to embrace those things. Help us to, to, to leave the things that we've kind of, you know, reached into and tried to grab onto and tried to find our identity in and help us to give you our affections and give you our focus and give you our allegiance and give you our loyalty. And uh, I pray that you would help us to find our identity in you. And uh, I just pray over these students and leaders, pray for myself, I pray for all of us as we leave this place, that you would help us to live out our calling in Romans eight twenty nine to be more conformed to the image of Jesus. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys with me? You good? All right. So just praying for you guys this week. And, um, you know, it's always a good idea, like on Wednesday nights when you get home, maybe reread through that uh, scripture that we read tonight, 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 11. You know, think about some of these things. Go into access, right, tonight and pray that God will help you uh, find your identity in Him. Do we have anything else? No small groups next two weeks? And no... Okay. Did y'all get that? One more time. No small groups next week? And for high school? And middle school? And no edge next week? All right? You guys have a good week. You're dismissed.